Welcome to episode 34 of the Grassroots Guy podcast. Today, I am joined by second yellow card YouTube content creator and football manager expert, I'm going to call him, better known as Matt. This is a weird one for me. Matt, welcome, by the way, because Thank you. I am a massive, massive fan of yours in a very, very non-fanboy way. So welcome to the show. I hope you're looking forward to your experience on the Grassroots Guy podcast. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, perfect. Um, so, Matt, let's let's throw this one straight at you. Give the people who aren't aware of who you are a little bit of a brief uh, insight into you and what you do. I mean, essentially, I'm a, a full-time content creator on YouTube and Twitch, uh, specifically in the football manager community niche, essentially. So that, that's where all my content is driven from. Um, I've been doing it full-time for about 18 months now, but I've been, I've been doing the content for about seven, eight years nearly. So it was, yeah, it was about time, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. And um, for those people who aren't aware, so we'll, we'll go proper basic to begin with, explain football manager as a game. I mean, essentially, football manager is sort of it's somewhat self-explanatory. I mean, essentially, it's a game where you play as a football manager, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's not as simple as just yelling things on the touchline like praise and encourage. It, yeah. It's a lot deeper. You can essentially control everything from the ground up at the club, be it club signings. You can go as deep or as shallow as you really want, really. You can control training, making your signings, setting up tactics, playing the matches. It's pretty much endless, really. You can do essentially anything you'd want to do within the football space, really. Uh, and that's the beauty of it, really. That's why it's so replayable and why you can get thousands of hours a year out of it because every save, every game is a little bit different. There's no, like, storylines. You have to sort of make your own storylines, but that, I think, is what makes it so flexible and fun. Yeah, I find, uh, like, obviously, being an avid football manager, player, and ex-content creator, well, kind of not quite put the retirement thing on it like some people do, but, you know, um, that's the beauty of it. Like I find the more creative your mind is, potentially the more exciting your saves can be. I.e. when you watch your content, you give your players different names and different scenarios and you put different kind of um, limitations on what you can and can't do. And I think for somebody who's very good at the game like yourself, I think that's important because it could potentially get a little bit samey if you like um it's as hard or as easy as you want to make it i suppose if you yeah if, i think sometimes you hear people say the game's too easy but then make it harder then put yourself in a position make some challenges for yourself then it's you can control the difficulty level there's no difficulty level really it's only you, your imagination 100 percent. i totally agree with you so um for those people thinking geez that sounds complicated why do these guys love the game so much why would you say that you love football manager so much I think it is just, like I said, about the, the flexibility of stories. I, I've always thought of myself as a storyteller, and this was like an opportunity to, not, I mean, to tell stories, but to have little inputs that just give, it's almost like, I look at it as like a series of like creative writing cues. The game will throw up a scenario for you, but it doesn't give you any context really other than that, you know, variable A and variable B have produced variable C. Yeah. But it's up to you to try to fill in the blanks beyond that and build the story over the top of that. And I feel like you could see the same scenario of, variable a and variable b equals variable c but you're variable d and you can kind of create a different scenario each time for the same thing if you just use a bit of your imagination i suppose and i suppose when it comes to like playing it offline that's the only you know sort of ceiling on that is your own imagination in your head but when you're doing it in front of other people as well you've got that kind of feedback loop with it and then you kind of there's more incentive to create those stories as well to keep other people engaged as well as yourself engaged yeah 100 percent. and i one of those uh 
scenario A to create scenario Bs, for anybody who's watched your YouTube channel will notice, or no, sorry, make that relevant to uh, jet skis being <laughs> scenario <laughs> A, causing scenario B injury, you know? So, but there we go. That's, yeah. that's very much uh, for some, somebody who watches your content would know about that, i.e. me. Um, <laughs> we will go, we've spoken about the realms of football managers slightly. Of course, we'll come back to it because... We both love it, and that's the main reason why you do full-time content on YouTube and on Twitch. What we will do, though, is speak about Matt, the sports person or ex-sports person, whichever it was. So what were your earliest memories of sport, mate? I ask this question to everybody who comes onto the podcast, so I think it's important I ask you. Earliest memories overall of sport would be things like playing in my primary school football team, I suppose. And that I would have been like seven years old, maybe. Yeah. I remember going to the the market with my mate and his dad buying like West Ham kits when I was like seven years old and stuff like that. And, and that's sort of like where it first occurred to me that sport is a thing that you can do as a human, I guess. And it sort of slowly developed from there. I mean, I went to a very small primary school where my whole year had like 27 kids in it or something. So <laughs> needless to say, if you could run then you were in the football team and the rugby team uh, and i could barely run so i just about scraped over it It sort of disappeared when i got to high school and i realized that we're actually people that were good at these things involved but still you know gave me a little bit of a leg up when i got there yeah 100 percent. so where, where was it in the country that you were brought up as a child matt oh like uh sort of southeast essex kind of way yeah nice and obviously uh a big area in regards to sports and stuff and you are now a fulham fan right so you mentioned yeah. west ham shirts what happened there bit of a sacrilege I, well it's my mate's dad was a massive west ham fan so we would just be in this market and he would just be buying us stuff like that uh presumably you know trying to influence the youth to become a west ham fan too <laughs> but yeah. I, I didn't it didn't take so to speak and i my parents were not like they were into football but they didn't support teams so it I never had the, oh, well, my parents support X, so I'll support them either. You sort of had to make a choice. And it wasn't until much, much later that I actually made that choice. I wasn't until I was probably about 12, 13 that I actually became a Fulham fan because I sort of didn't really watch much football beyond the major tournaments in like the World Cup 98 and 2002, I suppose, and Euro 2000. But I was I mostly just watched England games and a few like, you know, the ones that used to be on ITV, yeah. you'd get like the Champions League final and like the, well, I guess it would have been the UEFA Cup finals and stuff like that. But I only really watched those games. I liked Michael Owen when I was like eight or nine years old. So I guess I had a little connection to Liverpool, but Liverpool's miles from me. So when I got a bit older and kind of realised that, I just didn't want to be that guy that was from Essex that was a Liverpool fan, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. There's something uh, that doesn't quite like strike in regards to those situations, isn't there? Um, yeah. In regards to your football team then, it, at primary school, what was your position and how would you have described yourself as a player? uh fat and slow um <laughs> my position was kind of just like well wherever there isn't someone else he'll go there basically because i mean like i said it was like basically five or six aside because there wasn't enough kids in my class to even yeah, have yeah. those most of the time we did play other schools we were so bad that they'd have given us one of their players just so that it wasn't quite so embarrassing and you're not like in a danger of conceding triple figures double is fine triple that's just embarrassing um i didn't really have a position back then either like when i was in high school and did gcsepa i used to play right back a lot just fullback really uh on either side so i guess that was the position but i never really knew what positions were in primary school really i wasn't in goal yeah well i mean that's well to be fair like goalkeeper it's the worst position on the pitch for me but some people do enjoy it don't they which is uh i think they do have to have somewhat of a 
a screw slightly missing yeah. to want to be a goalkeeper when you're growing up. I could see why you'd like. I mean, I was a hockey goalkeeper for quite a while, so maybe oh, I should really? have just done that in football. Yeah, for so I was quite. I had quite fast reflexes, so I was quite good at just. I, I'd play with that under the pads on, and it was really dangerous. And I got told <laughs> off a lot for doing that in PE because those balls will hit you. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty dangerous sport, to be fair, without helmets and whatnot. So you, you yeah. played football, you played hockey at school as well. Was there any other sports that, like, interested you as a child? Not really. I didn't even really like hockey that much. That's why I used to go in goal. I was just like, if I'm if I'm here, I can just stand around and occasionally save a ball. I, I saw, like, rugby. If, if anything, when I was a kid, I liked rugby a lot more than football. I, I, I don't know, my parents probably still have the 1995 Rugby World Cup final on a VHS tape that I would, like, watch over and over again as a kid. Amazing. But, as I grew older, I just lost interest in rugby. And maybe it was just because there was more media surrounding football. And so it was easier to take in. You, you could kind of have as much as you want. And there was less of that for rugby. I mean, obviously it's changed now. And imagine as a kid, if, you, if you're if massively into rugby, you can pretty much get as much content around it as you want. But back when I was 9, 10, 11 years old, was, this is the late 90s. So that just didn't exist in the same manner essentially so i just sort of eventually gravitated towards football watching match of the day and the premiership on saturday nights you know the the best memories and the the premiership's um introduction theme was amazing um, was it be- oh, you beautiful, beautiful beautiful day, day. yeah yeah even i remember that like growing up which is pretty cool so what was it about fulham then matt that made you because i mean i'm a chelsea fan so yeah. like we won't talk about football, but <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to sit here and boast. But what was it no. about Fulham? I I don't know. Honestly, I was like again watching the Premiership on in the evenings, and for some reason, just really liked watching the Fulham team that day. That was the year that Fulham were like really, really good for a bit. I think they were like fourth in the Premier League at like Christmas or something. It's when Louis Sahar was banging them in before he moved to United during the 2003 season, I think it was. It was just, they were just a fun team to watch. And I think as a kid, when I'm looking at Nair and I'm seeing the league tables every week at the end and I'm thinking, who the hell's this lot? Yeah, yeah. Seeing all the names I recognize, Liverpool's, Chelsea's, Arsenal's, and I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, they're up there. Who the hell are they? And why are they there? Tell me more about this. And so I then thought, I didn't have a team. Screw it. I could, they were like an underdog, but they also weren't that much of an underdog because they're in the Premier League at the end of the day. But hey, I, I just thought that's something a bit different. They had some cool players. Screw it. And I know it's films weird to just decide to become a fan, but like, you know, 20 years later, I wouldn't change it for the world. So yeah, it's funny how um, like your affinity to a team comes around. Like oh, my, my family, what, 80% of them are Chelsea fans. So when I was born, yeah. there was no choice, you know? Um, but I think it, I think Fulham at the time they were did they how far into the European competition did they get? That must have been around the time that you started supporting them, was it? No, that was quite a lot later. Was uh, it? 20, 2010 was when Fulham got to the Europa League final, um, and lost to Atletico. That's that right, was yeah. just bizarre. I was much older. I was like twenty when that was happening. So I'd been a Fulham fan for years at that point. Seeing Clint Dempsey scoring that chip against Juventus, yeah, and beating Juve four one at Craven Cottage. Just like, Is this real? mad sort of stuff and i don't think it'll ever maybe be as good as that again those seasons under hodgson you know coming what was it i think seventh in the premier league under hodgson qualifying for the europa league the yep. next year going to the damn final and all that like less than a year after we would basically relegate it except well we were relegated at half time two nil down at city i looked at my phone went right cool that's us down got home oh we've won three two yeah do you know what just I, from there. I, I genuinely remember that vividly because i'd been to watch chelsea that day and we yeah. was 
obviously family day out being a youngster i I just got dragged around the pubs on the way home back walking <laughs> walking back to hammersmith bus station we stopped in a pub one minute and fulham i think we had the lunchtime kickoff and you were losing two mm. nil by yeah. the time they'd got into the next pub it was three two and you were staying up so Insane. yeah ridiculous um, we, I mean, we had to win a lot more games in order to stay up after that. But if we didn't win that, we'd have been relegated. I think we had to win like four of our next five or something. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible turn of events for sure. But anyway, I think we've spoken enough about the real world and we need to speak about you and what you do and what your job is per se. So you started your YouTube channel in 2013, Matt. What uh, was it originally that you started to, you started that channel for? Uh, so originally I had a football blog called Second Yellow Card that I was writing at the time. And it was mostly just a case of I'm going to squat these URLs just in case I want to use them at some point later. So I got the Twitter account, even though it was you know the wrong characters because Twitter is Twitter. They have a 13 character limit for something like, why 13? But they do. Um, YouTube. Oh, I got all the URLs as much as I could because I, I came from an SEO background. So I kind of knew that if you're going to start any enterprise, get all the URLs you can that are relevant otherwise you regret it later when someone else takes it and you've had to use like second yellow card 07 and it's just it's just Mm. not the same thing it's bad for business and i never actually put anything on the youtube channel but it was there um i think it was well well over a year before i actually uploaded anything to it i think it made it in october 2013 originally but just just to squat on it really yeah amazing and you you said in your notes that you sent through to me uh last week that it was for a prior project just out of interest what would it what would it have been Oh, it was the, um, well, it was just, a, it was literally just a football blog where I was just going to write football articles. Oh, cool. Like I'd been writing a lot of articles just based on, because I, as I said, I used to work in SEO. So I had a lot of like websites that would rank quite high and then you add revenue from those. So I was quite good at just writing articles. And I was like, well, maybe if I could make a blog that's actually about a subject I care about, because I'd spent the last six months writing articles about liposuction uh, because it was a really high yield ad niche. And it was great and all, but boring as all hell. Um, <laughs> you don't want to have to learn that stuff. So I thought if I could turn my attention to football and maybe try and re- recreate that style of stuff, but with a, a project I'm actually passionate about, maybe there's an opportunity to turn it into something. Because football blogs existed at the time. Um, blogging's less of a thing now, I suppose. Although there are some still big ones. But I wanted to see if I could get on that bandwagon, basically. Uh, and it didn't work. Um, but luckily, um, I think I pretty much binned it off the moment I started making YouTube videos. Yeah, amazing. And then... You say that you uploaded your first Football Manager video in 2014. But what I will ask you is, when did you start playing Football Manager? When was your first edition of Football Manager? 2013. Was it really? Wow. First FM. was, And it was in 2014 because it was FM 13, but I got it on sale in like January. So it would have been January 2014 that I actually got the game. I, like when I made the YouTube channel, I'd legitimately never played Football Manager at the time, technically. Unbelievable. So um, your first video then... What, who was it? And like, do you remember much about it? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it was Fulham. <laughs> Would you oh, believe? Of course, yes. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a save called Rebuilding Fulham. I'd seen a couple of FM YouTubers at the time because there wasn't that many people doing it in that market. I think Workspace at the time was the biggest. And I think he had about maybe 5,000 subscribers. Yeah. I'd watched a bit of his Peterborough United save over the summer and thought, particularly as FM was the only game I could play on the laptop that I was using. So <laughs> it was certainly the only thing I was going to be able to record and badly at that. But it was just a case of ah, give it a go why not do Fulham? Because it's what I know. I wasn't even any good at the game at the time. I was just learning, basically. And I was hoping that I could learn in public because that's always the best way to learn things. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So um, 
in regards to that as well then just going back to that being your first edition in some respects that's quite a late entrance into the realms of SI and football manager isn't it because I mean I was I remember one of the games when I was younger I think the Daily Mail or something gave it away as a free copy when they were giving away demos and stuff and obviously you could only play like two weeks into the season I remember being two weeks over and over yeah 100% it's literally what I did and um on a on a computer that could barely even you could barely even type on but what was it that hooked you to it then was it just the immersion of it Honestly, I wasn't hooked at all at first. Like, really? I basically, I'd read a book called Football Manager Ruined My Life just because I was reading yeah. sports books, that Ian McIntosh book. And there was a section in there where he was writing this sort of mini fan fiction about a team in Germany called Unterhacking. And it was just funny and I enjoyed it. And I thought to myself, because oh, I'd quite liked writing. And then I played a few saves. I did the normal thing you do where you download the editor and you make your local team absolutely overpowered as all hell. But after a while, that kind of loses its joy because I didn't know how to make tactics. And the only reason they were doing well is because I just downloaded a plug and play tactic and then made all my players have 200 PA. So <laughs> it wasn't exactly, it was fun for a bit, but then after a while, I just kind of lost interest. And over the summer, for whatever reason, I decided I was going to write like something like that, a novel, but I was going to use FM to generate the storylines for it. And so I did. I, I started a, a journeyman save. I mean, it didn't end up being like that, but it ended up starting a save in um, Portugal with Uniad and Madeira, who were at the time a second tier side, yeah. uh, playing a lovely blue and yellow kit. And I was just writing a sort of almost like a novel alongside it, but it was following the story in the save as I was going along. So I was playing the save extremely slowly because I was writing alongside it. But that's playing it like that gave me that level of immersion that I hadn't managed to get from any previous times I'd played the game. And that just, that was what hooked me. Then I went, oh, actually, no, I see this now. And after a while, I sort of stopped writing it just because I was, too, I, I got to the point where I didn't want to write more because I wanted to play the game more. Uh. <laughs> and, and then I just, I put that on hold and then never went back to it. But I mean, it was like a hundred pages I'd written of that. And then eventually I just gave it up and just started playing the uni. I'll save after that. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I can like resonate with what you're saying, because that was the first thing that I did, really, in terms of football manager. Um, I mean, I don't remember. I remember a website uh, called Neoseeker, and it was a blog. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, a forum yeah. that people would post blogs onto. And that was like, I mean, if you went on Neoseeker now, I'm not even sure whether they'd, there'd be football manager content on it, you know, but Who knows? that was that was where I started just the odd blog Norwich blah blah but then the, when I took it seriously started Twitter etc etc started as FM way of life then FM Perds, um, and that was the first ever content creation I'd done but with blogs as you quite rightly say because you're writing and it is a slow way of creating content and like the speed of the game now you can just get through months games just like that you kind of not lose interest in your blog but it, the game takes over doesn't it you just want to play more. I tried yeah. actual FM blogging for a bit during my little non-doing YouTube period, and I just couldn't do it. I maybe up, I did like maybe three seasons of a Norwegian save for the club called Arendal, and it was it was fine. People liked it, but I just couldn't be asked. <laughs> I was just having to. I didn't want to spend the hour writing the blog. I'd much rather have just spent that playing the save. Yeah. So it just kind of yeah, just blogging just isn't for me. The great thing about things like Twitch and YouTube is that I can go at the same pace, but I'm just recording myself doing it. So yeah, it's a, you have still have to be able to present stuff and that, but I can do that on the fly and that's much easier. And I still get through things a lot faster, particularly when I've got time to do it. Yeah. A hundred percent, especially being full time. It makes it easier for you. So in 2015, um, 
your channel made it to 5,000 subs um, and you fell ill at the time. What happened there, mate? I still don't really know, honestly. It was like literally the week after I'd hit 5,000 subs, I was preparing a brand new save. I'd started getting better at things like After Effects and was building these like history segment intros. And the first one I ever did was for the Paris FC save. And this was right after that. And then, I don't know, I had like, you know, cold flu-like symptoms for about a week. And I was fine. You know how it goes. You just go, oh, I've got a cold or whatever. It will go away, a head cold. And then I felt fine for about another week. And then for whatever reason, about a week after that, I woke up and it was like looking through a dirty windscreen. Like everything was kind of, it's hard to explain, like like a drop shadow on your own vision. And then I just, I don't know what the hell happened. I just woke up like that one day. And then throughout that rest of the day, I just started getting like muscular twitches in my arms and legs. And it was sort of spreading across my entire body to the point where like, I couldn't put my arm in a certain position without like just random muscles, just twitching and all this sort of nonsense. And that scared the shit out of me at the time, honestly, because like when you see those kind of things, you immediately jump to things like ALS and motor neuron disease and stuff like that. And I mean, I know now from the research that that's not how that presents in any way. Yeah, but yeah. I I don't know what actually went on. Eventually, I mean, I was eventually diagnosed with a liver condition, but that was sort of sub off to the side and wasn't actually directly to do with it. They suspected that I'd had some kind of virus, hence why I was ill. But then it had damaged something within me and I was kind of suffering from like, I think they call it post-viral syndrome or something. And it just sort of affects your nervous system in some way. And I've never really recovered from it still now. Um, But now it's just kind of a way of life. So I've just kind of got used to it and thus it doesn't really affect my actual day to day. But at the time it was like debilitating. I, I was like bed bound for weeks just because I was anxious as all hell because I didn't know what was happening to me. Uh, and eventually I sort of got treatment. I got into better shape as well, which definitely helped in general. Cause you just feel good about yourself. You know how it is. It's yeah. hundred percent. It's that sort of stuff just sort of brought me back again. And so I think I took maybe like a month, month and a half off of making content across that period, just because I just wasn't in a position to make content. I could barely see straight. Uh, now, I don't know how much of that was anxiety or whatnot. Eventually, I was download, di- downloaded, down- diagnosed with something called benign fasciculation syndrome, which was, it's, it's almost the opposite of a diagnosis. It's the, we've ruled everything else out, therefore this. Uh, so I don't suppose, I imagine there's multiple different things that can cause it, but essentially it's a way of saying that it's fine. It's not going to hurt you, but it is bloody awkward. Uh, I was very fortunate that when I was in a doctor's office, I actually had an attack of it, which I'd never happened before. And I was sat there on the, like the bed thing with all of my muscles twitching. And it was, it was good for me in a way because I was able, they were able to see exactly what was going on. And the doctor kind of just went, Oh, right. Okay. Um, And then they went from there and you know, it's fine. I think it's brought on my heavy anxiety can cause it and stuff like that. And, but I'm always sort of twitching a little bit and but I, it's kind of, it's fine. It's manageable now, which is the main thing really. But yeah, yeah it still cost me a lot of time back then. And it, it was a shame because obviously I was building a lot of momentum on YouTube at the time and it just killed it. Like I say killed it. It, it certainly stymied it for a, a good month or two. Yeah. I mean, um, definitely would have slowed you down as with anything. I think like no matter what it is you're doing, especially with online content create, creation, consistency, and turning up, as we know, um, is the thing that like makes your channel grow, et cetera, et cetera. But, but unfortunately, the, the story of yours in terms of your timeline of creation goes a little bit further downhill in 2016, <laughs> doesn't it? When the anxiety and the YouTube channel kind of, I'm going to call it a little bit of like overwhelm, I suppose, from what I've heard you say. Um, but yeah. I will obviously let you explain in more detail. But it definitely came to a stop in 2016 because of your own mental health issues, correct? Yeah, 
it was a hard stop. I mean, after I'd had that little bit of a break, I kind of just came back and I wasn't feeling better, but I'd lost like two stone in weight. I was feeling better about myself. I wasn't like, I still had the same symptoms, but I just slowly but surely was getting used to it and thinking to myself, right, well, if it's not going to weigh after six months, probably isn't going to go away anytime soon unless there's some miracle breakthrough. So I'll probably just have to try to get used to that. And it's like anything, your body just kind of adapts and you just forget that it's a thing, really. If I remember, if I think about it, I can suddenly, now I'm looking around, I can see that my eyes aren't adjusting properly. But for the most part, I'm fine, as long as I don't think about it. Um, and then I was fine, came back, new FM came out, brilliant, did Wimbledon save, everyone liked it, it was great. Channel was still growing quite, I mean, quite brilliantly, really. And then it comes around to sort of 2016. So, you know, a good... 18 months after this had all happened and the channel was again flourishing and i started a brand new save did the midget land save building a nation and i was trying out some new editing styles and trying to bring some new stuff to my content and people really seemed to take to it and it was for me anyway banging mad views that i wasn't really used to i wasn't used to that kind of huge amount of viewership on every single video and huge subscriber growth at the time i think i was getting like 2,000 subs a month at that point and maybe more it was we were getting very close to twenty thousand subs at this point wow. so there's been a huge amount of growth over that period and that was fine but i think for whatever reason with this new type of editing and a new type of save came a new audience that i wasn't used to like my community at that point had always been despite being well not large but for the fm niche i suppose at the time anyway twenty thousand subs now in the fm niche is not nothing but it wasn't back then it was like top three or four channels yeah. um and I just wasn't used to, it was this new sort of, uh, there was a level of entitlement before it was all very wholesome and everyone was just kind of very nice to each other. And then it was just every episode to be like 20 comments of people just being like, well, actually this, 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 this. And you're just like, why? I just don't care. Like I was just trying to make content that people wanted to watch and would be entertained by. And when you've got people that want to show up to every video and nitpick every single decision and thing you say, like, oh, you've mispronounced this guy's name. Okay, cool. But then I said it right in the next sentence. So yeah, why does that need a YouTube comment or, you know, um, where you'd say something like uh, we're a game against Bristol City and I'd accidentally say Bristol. It's like, well, yeah, I was talking about Bristol City because they're the team in this league, not Bristol Rovers. Are you really that confused or are you just insanely pedantic? But it was stuff like that that would just get to me to the point where I was just like, shut up. And unfortunately, uh, now I don't care. Because at the, but at the time, I couldn't see the wood for the trees and I was only seeing the negativity and it kind of just spiraled. And it just made me hate making YouTube videos because I just knew that every time I uploaded, I'm just going to get more of that shit. And it just kind of took any ounce of fun out of it. It wasn't my job. Um, I wasn't getting particularly well paid for it. It's particularly back then because YouTube's changed a lot in that period of time. You could still earn money from it back then and I was, but I didn't know how to organize ads. I didn't know how to do video sponsorships or anything like that. I, so I was earning a little bit of money here and there, but it wasn't worth the mental hassle that came along with it basically. Mm. So I, eventually I just kind of said, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> I just couldn't do it anymore. And I'm glad I made that decision. I, I know that maybe if I stuck around, I could have been in a higher position perhaps on YouTube right now, but I don't know what I'd have been in position mentally, whether I would have wanted to be doing it now. I probably would have done it for another, I don't know, six months and then just never, ever wanted to come back. Yeah, so two things there, like in regards to just in general with anyone's mental health, you took the decision to kind of pick self-care over continuing <laughs> to create content, which like for somebody who loved, like is really into like self-development and um likes giving advice in the realms where i possibly can i think it's something that is really brave for you to have done to just pull yourself out of the situation which is ace um and there was another point there that i've forgotten so that's really good but um we'll come on it'll come back to me in a minute 
but yeah so did you find that as soon as you came off of youtube there was a not an instant sense of relief but a a sense of right it's time to kind of build myself back up now Mm. oh it literally was an instant sense of relief oh well there we go the the day that i uploaded that video i didn't even look at the comments because i knew that it was going to be received actually it was in fact it was received overwhelmingly positively from a comment section like everybody in the comment section i've i've gone back and read the comments on that video from time to time because people were so insanely lovely um and that's probably part of the reason I was able to come back, honestly, because yeah, I realized that actually those people don't matter and they'll probably go and bother someone else now, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate, really, because they don't have, shouldn't have to deal with that shit either. But that's just how the, it seems to be different now. And I don't know why. Um, maybe people just grew up. But it was just an instant sense of relief. I could wake up one morning and go, ah, oh, I don't have to record a video today because there's no one relying on a video going out now because I've said I'm not going to be doing it. So instead of doing that, I can go play Fallout 4 or something and just enjoy a different video game and have a night spend some time with my girlfriend. Exercise. Yeah. Because um, I was neglecting myself because all that extra time that I then needed to make all the videos at the time was time that I could have been spent, what, at the time cycling, stationary albeit, but still where so i just ended up neglecting my physical health as well as my mental health like i'd managed to get my physical health back in check a little bit because i had to because of the liver disease but that was sort of fluctuating as well but uh, plus mental health exercise is great for it it's like meditation yeah. and so i was able to sort of get everything back in the right frame of mind i think i lost about four stone at that point and just got into a really good space and was just happy doing other things i'd think about it from time to time and i still consumed fm content and i'd still end up on podcasts from time to time because people like creators in the community that i knew would still have me on and i was more than happy to do that because talking to people for an hour about fm for me wasn't a taxing experience and i really liked it because i liked a lot of the people from the community i just didn't like making content on it anymore i didn't yeah. see a pathway to anything beyond what i was already doing i was like well this is never going to be a job unless you get you know two hundred thousand subscribers i was like that's not going to happen i mean it might not for me but it might for someone else in the next couple of years which is amazing but at the time that just wasn't even a goal you could see because no one was even close to those kind of numbers back then yeah i mean it's it's interesting you say that but then now you are a full-time uh football manager content creator which is interesting isn't it because you've almost gone yeah. like well i say full circle in regards to content you've definitely gone full circle in regards to i'm not doing this anymore uh hold on a minute and now it's my job <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is amazing really so what i will ask then i think I, I think this is what i was going to ask you that i'd forgotten is how did you learn to go i don't give a fuck about these comments anymore repeating it to myself constantly and maybe i'm still yeah. lying to myself because at the end of the day i still get like tilted by it and it's just it's stupid because you'll have a co- you'll have a video with 30 comments and 29 of them will be amazing and then yeah. it's just one person being a pillock and that just brings you down and that's so stupid but that's just how the human psyche works you need like 10 positive things to one negative thing just to keep a balance because people remember the negatives and it's a shame um but now i just kind of i just like the way I tend to deal with it is I, I compartmentalize things. So I have a, I and mean, this maybe helps because it is my job. I have a working day. So between the hours of nine and five, that's work time. And then the moment at five o'clock ticks, there's no looking at YouTube comments. There's no having notifications on my phone. There's no checking Twitter or Discord. Well, Discord a little bit because it's friends and yeah. other creators and stuff. That's different. Um, and then I just don't touch it because that way you don't end up at six o'clock at night checking there, seeing a dodgy comment and dwelling on it for the rest of the evening. And it just ruins your day. Whereas now it's like, if you see a thing, oh, well, whatever, moving on. It's kind of like that Top Gear meme, the oh no, anyway. And yeah. 
uh, that that's how I did it. I, I don't think it's I don't think my my attitude probably did change because it's just a case of I think you build a thicker skin over time. But I don't think my skin's that much thicker. It's just you get better at dealing with it and knowing how to pull yourselves out of the funk when you start to spiral. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a key um, in regards to anybody that's listening with any form of like mental health. I think the way you've described it there is knowing learning how to deal with yourself and when you do get into that funk and being able to pull yourselves out of it so just finally on that um negative note would it like at the at its worst was it like really detrimental to you then in regards to your life and yeah oh yeah i have face cam footage from my old camera that i because it would always upload into the same folder when i was copying off the sd card from the last couple of videos I made before I stopped. And the thing, the re- I keep the video because I of how I was like before I go live, or not go live, before I start recording. And it was just kind of like completely fake in the sense that I, I would go live, I'd be sat there like nearly on the verge of tears, just like don't want to do this, but I kind of feel like I had an obligation. And then like two seconds later, it'd be like, hi guys. And it's like just complete bollocks basically, but yeah, you had shit. to. Um, and I keep that to remind myself to never ever let myself feel like that again before recording a video or if i'm feeling like that again then there's a reason and it needs to be tackled not let it fester for two months because then you're just causing yourself more damage it's like a wound you know unless you put a bandage on it or get some ointment or whatever then it's only going to get worse or it'll get infected and i feel like that's what might have happened had i stayed on uh youtube any longer is i I mean i could have got brain gangrene and had my head amputated that's a metaphor but you get my point it's a great metaphor in some respects yeah for sure and then so I mean, there's no one size fits all treatment to mental health, feeling better. Um, so I think that's at the end of the day, if anybody's struggling with any form of anxiety or depression or low mood, all they'll ever say to anybody is that they want to just feel a bit better or like yeah. want to feel happy again. And obviously everybody's say that again. Sorry. The problem I found is that that was the first time in my life that I'd struggled with any kind of real anxiety or depression and i think the first time you ever have because i feel like everyone at some point in their life will go through anxiety depression on various levels like when i say anxiety i don't obviously everyone gets anxious about things sometimes but i'm talking about more like generalized anxiety where there's no particular reason why you're anxious you just are yeah and the same with depression if anything is that's more of a demon that creeps in in the background and i think the first time you have to deal with it you don't know how to deal with it because you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel there's just this chasm that you're staring into and it's just the abyss. Whereas now, if I feel like sometimes I just wake up and my mood is shit and that's fine. That happens. And sometimes it lasts for like two or three days, but I always know that I look at it like a pendulum in the, it always swings back the other way again. And in a few days I'll be feeling better again. But before then I didn't know that. I just assumed I'd feel like that forever. Yeah. And until you realize that actually it's not forever. And obviously some people require maybe pharmaceuticals or therapy to deal with that sort of stuff. I haven't had to go to those lengths. Maybe I'd have been better off if I'd done some. I did some like CBT, uh, which was really helpful, but that was much later. And I think it's just the experience of dealing with it once makes it easier to deal with the second time around. And you kind of then know how to treat yourself and what to do and how to think and what things to avoid and what things to do more of. And it's just, uh, I, it, it, there's no one size fits all solution, unfortunately. And that's what makes it so hard when people are struck with it the first time because they need to find their own solutions to it. Yeah. And unfortunately you can't find those solutions without going through it in the first place. And that, that's the problem. Yeah, 100%. I remember um, the first time I ever dealt with any form of anxiety and anxiety on a general note, like you say, when you when you aren't feeling 100% and you can't put a finger on it, yeah. was I thought obviously it was downhill from there. That was yeah. just the way that I worked. 
like my brain works that way. But then it wasn't until I did a bit of like reading and found out that, oh, like anxiety is an emotion that the human body will create, whether you're good, bad or ugly, you know, like yeah. it just happens. Deal, like not deal with it, but learn to deal with it because yeah. there's no way you're going to run away from it forever type thing. And I think that's something that people people label anxiety as this really negative thing. This is a bit of a tangent, really, but they do label it as a, a really negative thing. When actually, if we didn't have it and we went to cross a road, yeah, and there was a lorry coming, and you didn't have those anxious feelings, you could just generally just walk out in front of it and get hit. Yeah, it's it's fight or flight. I mean, that's literally yeah. what it is, isn't it? It's the fight or flight mechanism being triggered uh, because of imbalances and chemicals in the brain. Because I feel like human body hasn't had a chance to evolve yet to the way that people live nowadays. And yeah, I think that's 100%. definitely part of the reason. I imagine that the hunter gatherer person that the brain we still really have from them would react very differently to going into the woods because there's the threat of wild animals versus stepping out of the road and being hit by a Tesco's lorry. Yeah. It's those two things just don't really work with the brain yet. I don't think um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. Anxieties. I always look at it like waves um, as far as like the tide, whenever I get like waves of whenever I got serious anxiety for like just no apparent reason um, or when an event has caused anxiety, but you're past it, but you're still anxious about it, Yeah, uh, which is the worst. Usually you get the relief. Sometimes you don't. And I find that I tend to look at it like the tide in that you get the wave of anxiety will wash over you, but eventually the tide will start to go out. So the wave oh, okay. will be less and less deep. And eventually there's just sand and then you're fine again. That's, I tend to think about it like that. Yeah. makes it easier for me anyway. Yeah, it's a really good analogy. So how did second yellow card, Matt, what was his go-to method or what is his go-to method to in improve his mood get himself out of the slump so so to speak for me the best thing i do is speak um yeah. whether that be twitch chat which is something i didn't have at the time because i wasn't streaming um i i was too anxious to stream whereas now it's the opposite now if i'm streaming i feel a lot less anxious most of the time because there's so many people to talk to and it distracts me for four hours too but mostly it's things like talking to my girlfriend um about anything like when she's when she knows that i'm extremely like depressed or anxious or spiraling she he will like deliberately ask me questions that i know she's not interested in the answer to but she just wants me to talk about something i'm passionate about so i forget about the fact that i'm anxious she'll start asking me about obscure flags and i'm just like you don't give a shit about this but you know that i <laughs> and it's, oh. it's, it's, it's that kind of god god go i'll leave it to you i'll leave it to you it's just people that do that kind of, that, that's what love people that do that sort of shit for you are the kind of people you want in your life that just know when something's up and will just ask you to explain something really she'll ask me oh what do the football manager roles do what is this what's a round deuter and i'm just like you don't care yeah but yeah. i love that you're taking an interest and then i can't resist talking about it because i'm a loud mouth and it after a little while or like she'll give me trivia questions and stuff like that. And it just sort of, it just distracts you enough. The other thing I do is I'll just play like video games with my friends. Not yeah, talking amazing. about anything specific, just playing video games with my friends. You know, you do that for three hours and you realize that you've done three hours. Because you can't, if you're sat there with a controller in your hand, trying to talk to people and focus on a video game at the same time, your brain has got no time for anything else. So it's not thinking about that stuff. And I find it just kind of gives you enough of a gap that when you do start thinking about it again, it doesn't come back as severely. And then over time, it sort of slowly dissipates, I find. Yeah, perfect. That's a great answer. One thing that just clicked in my head was um, a quote that my coach uses, and it literally is that questions are the steering wheel of the mind. And like, without them, like, it is very easy to get into that funk. We use the funk word again. And with them, yeah. like, if 
being asked the right questions, your own interests on things you're passionate about, i.e. flags, football manager. <laughs> like for me, it would be for me, it'd be Chelsea, football manager, just football in general, sport, talking. <laughs> it it just like I think it just a lot of it for me as well, and I don't know if you can uh, resonate, is that sometimes if you are in those funks, you can think that that's it. But then when you realise that, hold on a minute, shit, I'm now thinking about sport and randoiters and what colours are on the flag of Jamaica? Well, I'll tell you, it's yellow, green and black. (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) I think it's just amazing that like you can get caught there and then remember that actually, oh shit, no, my mind does focus on other things apart from being anxious at this moment. Fixation. It's like target fixation almost. You you just get fixated on one tiny little thing and then you remember that the world is still doing stuff while you're busy being a mopey sod. You know, I hate to describe it like that, but that's usually when I'm being self-deprecating about myself. I'd never tell anyone else to stop being a mopey sod, but I can tell myself that. And you just kind of wake up and go oh dear, what was I doing? And then all of a sudden you just feel a little bit better and there's a little bit more pep in your step. And then it's just like one step at a time. The things don't bother you quite as much and then you'll feel fine for a little while. And then something else will come along and break you back down again, but that's fine because you just have to get back up and keep walking up the stairs again. And, and that is you know, just- two step forwards and one step back. And that is life in general, right? Like, yeah, you know it. So, right, we'll go. That was, I think, do you know what? Um, I wasn't expecting that in today's podcast. Of course, we were going <laughs> to speak about your little slump, but hopefully- um, that little segment there, people can take something from. And maybe um, if they are resonating, they can realize that the situation that you've in, been in, you can you can bounce back from. So there you go. I think I always like to talk about it just in case someone's listening and goes, oh, yeah, actually, the, the, I think the problem is maybe sometimes people don't have that person to talk to. And that's I'm very fortunate that I do have a, an incredible girlfriend and close friends that I've known for t- 30 years nearly it. That's, I'm in a privileged position there, and I know that some people don't have that. And that's, I think, where people need each other more than ever, actually. Yeah, perfect. So then the resurgence happened, Matt. Um, you, like you say, you stopped thinking you were a grumpy sod. You took each day as it comes. Obviously, I mean, no offense by that. You, you said it about yourself. No, but, I mean, um, right, I was. <laughs> yeah, well, aren't we all as well? I mean, yeah. it, comes, it comes with age, am I right? Like, yep. the old, yeah, 100%. Um, your return to Creon, your ret- I'm, I can't talk today. I've got my teeth in backwards or something. It's me every day. Your return to content creation, what gave you that little urge? What gave you that bite? What gave you the buzz to start again? I think it's just, I'd been playing the new game. I'd been enjoying it. And I was just in like a great headspace. I was like in the best shape I'd ever been in really. I mean, at the time, obviously I've been in better shape since uh, and not now though. And that really just makes you feel good about yourself. So I just didn't really care. And I was kind of, I'd always thought about going back to streaming, but then I'd never really been consistent as a streamer anyway. So it wasn't anything to go back to. So I didn't think, I didn't want to be trying to build something from scratch again. And I basically said to myself, if I do go back, I could just kind of make whatever videos I want. And if people watch them, they watch them. If they don't, they don't, then who really cares? I could just have a bit of fun doing it. Cause I liked making videos. I like doing it. I like editing. I like crafting stories. I just didn't like all the other shit that came with it. Um, And then I put a tweet out just being like, you know, I'm sure the ship has sailed, but if I did come back to YouTube making videos again, would anyone actually be interested in that? And then the response to that just made me go, oh, okay, people 
do actually still care about the content I made. And I think that was kind of like the final trigger for me. Um, Cause it was all those same people that had left those nice comments in the video two years earlier, mostly. And maybe some other people that maybe hadn't heard of me at the time, but maybe had come into the community since and heard other people talk about me, which was very surprising. Um, and that kind of was just like the the tipping point to go, all right, fine, let's try and sort this out. Cause I had to like rebuild all the PC setups. I had to set everything up again in the way that it was, which is just not something I'd had to think about, you know, with lighting and cameras and all this sort of jazz. And then I basically just went, right, okay, we're back. And I didn't have some big like, hey, I'm coming back in two weeks. I kind of just did my thing and then just uploaded the first video being like, all right, I'm back. Amazing. No, 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 I didn't want any fanfare because I just didn't want it to, I wanted people to watch it because they were interested in the content, not because they're like, oh, he's back kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we'd obviously lost a fair amount of subscribers in the meantime, which makes sense. But I think we gained almost all of the ones that I'd lost in the two years back in the two days in that I, <laughs> when I came back, it was like 1900 in like two days or something because I'm guessing a lot of other content creators had been talking about it and thus it kind of snowballed from there. And yeah, I just was suddenly back doing YouTube again. I was only doing it like three days a week. So it was pretty easy to keep up with really. Um, can't remember when I actually updated the schedule again. I think once I'd got back into the swing of it and the new FM came out, I was like, right, okay, now we're going to go, you know, back to seven days a week again. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like down to six again now, but yeah, I mean, what 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 a comeback, as they say, and another one. Um, there's no comeback without a setback, which is obviously what you had, and you like in terms of. I think I suppose you kind of, like you say you learn you learn to deal with your your issues. Um, and I mean, you say you you learn to deal with them. It's not as you get rid of them, is it? It's just that you you like you say yeah yeah hundred percent. Um, and now you've you're up to twenty seven thousand subscribers on YouTube which that's no small number, mate. That's, that's some good effort. And um, Twitch, you started streaming on Twitch. How do you find the platform? Uh, I mean, the platform's terrible, but I really like it. Um, it was just, it was a decision. I'd been wanting to stream on Twitch for ages because I knew that if I, if I knew that if I ever was going to take my FM stuff any further, then it had to be through streaming because there's only so many YouTube videos you can make. And I could either completely revolutionize and change my YouTube content, which is something I probably still need to do anyway, but it was easier for me to go, right. But at the time it was a case of how the hell am I going to find time to stream as well? And so I did do a few test streams the previous year, back in 2019, but it was, it, there was an anxiety level to that too, because it was a whole new thing. I, I like, I liked it at the time YouTube because it was like, it's controlled. I can control what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, I've not got to worry about something happening live that I have completely have no control over. And that alone was enough to make me not want to do it. And when the pandemic hit and my girlfriend had a cold, uh, so she was forced to self-isolate from work and therefore I was too. Not that I, I was working from home anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, I went, right, okay. If, we're gonna be, if I'm going to be stuck in the house, I might as well just try and funnel some of my videos onto different days so i've got that those extra days to try a bit of streaming out so i just started streaming one tuesday and then i've streamed every tuesday and thursday since then and obviously saturdays as well but that came later yeah amazing and um no regrets nope not not even a second the, the, i wouldn't have been able to make this my job if it wasn't for the streams youtube yeah. is, is great fun but it it was never going to make me enough money to pay the bills basically it's just not but not viable for me at this current time with my subscriber count, the type of content I make on YouTube. Yeah, amazing. So just quickly as well, I mean, we have, we, we've mentioned streaming and Twitch and whatnot. Again, for the people that aren't aware that maybe listen to this podcast, explain Twitch, explain streaming. 
I mean, it's essentially a, a live streaming platform. So it's the same as my YouTube content, except I'm live. So yeah. I'm playing FM. You can see the game. You can see me in the bottom corner. Uh, now I've upgraded things a little bit. You can see the on-screen chat as well. So there's a chat box to the side where you can chat with other people that are in the community. They're either talking to me, I'm talking to them, or they're talking to each other. But you can also see what they're saying on the screen as well, because I have it above my head, because I just find that if say you're watching on a television, you don't want to have the bloody great big bar on the side. Yeah. If you're not actually watch, if you're not actually participating in the chat, but you still want to see what these people are saying, so you can tell what I'm responding to. I think that for me is what the biggest thing about it is, because it's all very well me saying, "Oh yeah, I agree with that," and you're sat there going, "Yeah, but what's he agreeing with? <laughs> what did they say?" Yeah. Uh, so that's why I put the on-screen chat, and it's just I don't know. It's a it's a nice community. I think it's just I've had fun doing it because it's been nice to talk to a lot of familiar faces over the past 18 months that are, you know, some come and go, some are there for a bit, right, really intensely, and then some disappear, and, and then there's people that have been there the whole time, and it's just, it's like a comfort blanket, putting that on and streaming for a few hours, three days a week. It just, it feels nice to be there. Uh, I've had some of the best times in FM ever, really, just doing streams, because when something good happens, you, when I have, when I'm making a YouTube video and something outrageously funny or sad or good happens, it's cool, and I know that it's going to make great content, hopefully but I'm still the only one that's enjoying it in that moment. Whereas if something like that happens live, then I get to share it with 200 people and they all get to enjoy that moment together. And that for me is what makes streaming complete. And it's something I hadn't even thought about, but that's what makes streaming for me that little bit special is that when the good things happen, you get to share it with other people and have fun together. And I think that not just that way, you're not just distracting yourself, but you're distracting 200 other people. You don't know what's going on in their lives. Maybe this is just something to distract them from whatever. Maybe this is their version of talking because as i said earlier maybe they don't have that person that they can talk yeah. to but then they can come to stream and either i can be that person indirectly not in a sort of parasocial way but just because that's how this works or other people in the chat as well and i think that's hopefully a good thing yeah i don't think there's anything better like in the in terms of the football match, there's going to be people here that have no um like they 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 can't resonate with what we're saying in, in the realms of football manager but there certainly are mates of mine that will 100% understand what we're talking about um but I don't think there's anything better sometimes than just sitting down with your mates playing a bit of FM together and talking about your saves and how different players yeah. are doing this and whatever and you're doing it live do you find it baffling though that like I know obviously there are content creators that have like obviously more than 200 but to have 200 people watch you play football manager live is just nuts yeah. it? It, it is I, I i mean the amount of times i'll do this every now and then i'll just ask how many other people in the chat are playing fm and usually there's a lot of people they've got fm on one monitor and i'm on the other monitor because it's like you said you sat down you play playing fm and you're talking to your mates but maybe they they have lots of mates but maybe the mates just aren't into fm maybe they prefer horse racing or whatever yeah, but yeah, yeah. they can then get that kind of matey um talking to their mates about fm just in a live chat environment instead with other people that they know are going to be passionate about the game that they like so much. And I think that's what makes it kind of fun, really. So that's what makes it such a tight knit community. And everyone's really just very nice. Uh, part of the other reason I was worried about Twitch was just because I was expecting to get constant trolls and all this sort of shit. And again, fine, you do you. But with FM, it just happens so rarely, I think, just because everyone's... As you, I think it does skew slightly older demographically, which definitely helps. I think were I to be doing FIFA, despite it being football, it would have a completely different vibe. I've been in FIFA streamers' chats of, like, relatively the same size as myself and just been amazed by the toxicity in there. And I just can't... I just don't have time for that. It's yeah. not in my wheelhouse at all. I think FM's very wholesome in that aspect. I think, like, I think we've maybe banned, like, four people in wow. the 19 months I've been streaming and that's 
I think half of those were spam accounts anyway. And that was just be, not because they were being toxic, just because I can't be asked for that in my chat. Um, so we've only maybe had a couple of people for actually genuinely just being outrageously toxic. Just yeah. no point. We don't need it. You give them a chance, but if they come back and do it again, then all right, bye. Yeah, literally, I think. And and sometimes, like, as ruthless as it is, sometimes that is the best way to deal with things like that, for sure. Um, yeah. Matt, two football manager questions before uh, we move on. Um, what is your best football manager save ever? Either Red Star Belgrade back in, like, 2015 or probably this year with Tromsø. Yeah. Just something special about it, having been there, bought the scarf, and then wanted to do the save. And then the save going as well as it did. And just the reception to it and people enjoying it as much as they clearly did. Uh, that was just mad. The amount of people that would be getting 350 averages on tr- on a Norwegian team. That's mental. And particularly for someone like me, who was, even on Twitch, a relatively small content creator. So for me, that was just outrageous. And just everyone loving it as much as I did just made me so happy. And that was why it was just the fun save, the characters and just everything about it, really. Yeah. Uh, I will I will openly admit that working from home in probably both lockdowns, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, second yellow card, Twitch, how are Trumps are getting on? It was just, yeah. a, it's weird. Like, obviously everybody's lives changed for the worst in some parts, but there are highlights, mate. And as sad as it may sound, like watching people play football manager was just something to take you away from being locked in your house and mate one thing i will say for anybody um looking to go and watch some football manager content is you are bloody genuine guy um and it's always good vibes mate always always good vibes and i'll I'll give you credit for that because to take that like and do it naturally like you do is hard work because i've been in that very very for a brief sorry for a very brief brief period on twitch and it's very very difficult mate to do what you do so kudos thank you no, you're welcome. So what's next for second yellow card? <sighs> well, I mean, obviously, FM22 round the corner, like a month away. What's Going to hopefully try to recreate our uh, vibes from Tromsø, but uh, with the same concept of the save, just different country, different team. So in theory, we're going to be trying to do the same thing again, only with success uh, in Ireland with Treaty United. That's going to be the plan anyway, because we figured out some stuff with the rules that makes it that maybe a little bit better to try and somehow make a league the best league in Europe when that league is like the Irish league, because you can't just do it by yourself. You need the other clubs. You know the drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that league seems to be the best one that we could think of that will actually allow us to maybe succeed in that goal. And I'm hoping that we could kind of recreate the vibes of that. And I'm just really looking forward to it, to be honest with you. You know, we've been spending a bit of time in Africa and stream lately, and it's it's been different. Like viewership's been much lower but the people who like it really like it and i've just been having a good bit of time with it uh, over this period and uh i'm hoping that the enthusiasm everything will sort of build back up again on the new one and as for youtube it's uh i actually don't really know at the moment i know i want to make some different type of content this year not just full-on let's plays although i obviously will be doing that too because i feel like that's part of my brand but yeah. i do want to start making some more esoteric fm content i suppose like, more guide off video and uh no i'm no, no. terrible at guys because it, I, I, the reason I don't ever make guides is because if I start making guides, people will start to pretend I know what I'm talking about and I don't want the people thinking that. Um, because one, I don't. And two, the moment you start acting like you know what you're talking about, then you get the well actuallys back again. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. just not worth the hassle for me. Uh, I'll only ever do a guide on something if I know what the hell, if I know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, 
So it'll be just like fun stuff, just weird stuff. I've got plans to do, and I've got some other stuff in the uh, the background that I'm working on with a couple of other content creators, but that's all uh, hush hush at the moment. More on that in a few months, I suspect. No, no exclusives for my for my podcast. No. My partners would be very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Uh, Matt, we are coming very close to the end of your episode of the Grassroots Guy podcast. I have pre-warned you what's coming up next. We have got the 11 questions to finish quick fire round. Um, I do time these and this will go. This is the second sort of season. We call it season um, in regards to people who you are up against. You're up against two professional footballers at the moment, mate. Um, one of them I didn't. One of them I didn't even put down their time, Nathan Smith, last week because it took him four minutes to answer the questions. But don't get me wrong, the answers were great. We didn't quite get the uh, the snappy quick fire thing about hurry it, it up, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. And then uh, before that, we've got one minute fifty-two to beat, which was Charlie Wakefield, who plays for Yeovil Town at the moment. So, um, yeah, over to you. Ready when you are, mate. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good to go. I'm I'm, I'm in the game. Okay, in three, two, one, Matt, what is your Tesco meal deal choice? Three different sausage rolls. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, best sporting memory? Uh, England, David Beckham's goal in the World Cup in 98 against Colombia. Who is your sporting hero? Uh, ooh. Roy Hodgson. Amazing. Uh, who is your, no, so who is your favourite takeaway? What is your favourite takeaway? Oh, pizza. Uh, what is your go-to music choice? Uh, metalcore. Favorite alcoholic drink? Uh, but like a a nice lager, like a nice IPA. Nice. Uh, best leader, captain, or person you've been managed by? Oh uh, God, my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, who's your favorite band? Uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, Dayseeker. Advice you'd like to have given yourself at eighteen uh chill the hell out who are the best players you played with as a kid uh no one because we were all shit <laughs> and um have you or do you have any pre-stream habits uh dancing when i can't when my face cam's not visible <laughs> matt you have gone into first place so far with a time of one minute 19 and I will tell you that overall, I'm going to put you down as just SYC because I will know exactly who that is. Overall, that is a very, very quick time. Um, and there is a prize if you finish oh. at the end of uh, season season two as winner. Is it three so, sausage um, rolls? I can send some Gregs your way if that's what you want. <laughs> but um, yeah, to be fair, that'll probably be cheaper than what I sort out normally. So, <laughs> Damn it, I've done myself right up there. Yeah, you have. To be fair, you can have 10 sausage rolls. No problem. Perfect. Matt, how has your experience on the Grassroots Sky podcast been for you, mate? It's been really good fun. Just having a nice little light chat, some serious topics, but, you know, handled in a not too down in the doldrums kind of way, I suppose. It's, I think it's important to talk about serious topics, but if you can do it in a lighthearted way that still hits the point, then I think that's way better than, you know, being a doomer. 100%. And um, if people do want to come out and check your content, my friend, where can they come and find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash second yellow card, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Um, or, or any other time of your choice, but mostly that one. Um, on either youtube.com forward slash second yellow card or youtube.com forward slash straight red card for all of the uh, VODs and other various nonsense. Uh, Twitter forward slash 
second yellow crude. And uh, yeah, you can find me at the crossroads with the rest of the Blazing Squad. <laughs> Unbelievable, mate. Um, you can find me at the Grassroots Guy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you do want to contact me or Matt about anything um, that you want to speak about, then you're more than welcome to on the previous platforms mentioned. Um, if you do want to contact me as well in regards to anybody or yourself that you think is suitable to coming on the podcast, please don't hesitate to do so. You can catch me here for a new episode every Friday. Finally, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave, please leave a five-star review. It does go a long, long way to helping me out. Matt, would you say goodbye to the listeners, please? Goodbye to the listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, we will see you all here again soon. Take care. <laughs>